Assalamu alaikum, peace and blessings. Welcome to another episode of Maintain Your Islamic Identity and Still Be a Boss Muslimapreneur. I'm your host, Halima de Oliveira of BUNHD. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Hot Hijab, CEO, Melanie Elter. Women often appear to suffer from the misconception that to be successful in business or accepted in society, they have to diminish or denounce their faith or beliefs. As a business coach, I have encountered women cross-culturally who face internal conflict regarding their religious identity, maintaining their family roles, and being their most authentic selves. I've developed this podcast to help guide them back to reclaiming their faith, better define their Islamic roles so they can own their identity, live their absolute best life, and be a powerhouse in business. So, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Assalamu alaikum, Melanie. Um, I am so appreciative of you agreeing to be on the show. And so just please, for our listeners, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. And it's my pleasure, honestly. I, I'm, I'm just so in awe of everything you do. And you're just a powerhouse. And I'm happy to support you in whatever way I can. So I'm so happy to be here. I love talking with you. So I'm really excited for today. Um, so my name is Melanie, as you said. I'm the CEO and found, co-founder of Oat Hijab, otherwise known as Hot Hijab. However you'd like to pronounce it, it's cool with me. Uh, so we're the leading U.S. hijab brand. And um, in addition to that, we have a very strong social mission of women's empowerment, particularly Muslim women's empowerment, and really instilling confidence in girls who wear hijab or who want to wear hijab. Um, that's what we're all about. Um, you know, this year we're really focused on going global. Our goal and our vision right now is to become the number one global hijab brand. And that brand today doesn't exist. So we're really hoping that that will be us. So make job for us and, you know, help support us along our journey. I love it, Melanie. And you're one of the, you're the first person actually that I thought of when I thought of bringing this podcast into existence. Oh, you're so sweet. I, I mean that wholeheartedly. The last time that we spoke was at when you were at Temple. And That's right. I have this strong sense of in order to advance the Ummah, in order to advance us as Muslim women and just women in general, we have to, when there is someone that's out in front blazing the trail, we all have to kind of get behind that person and just propel them forward. So I love that you are the number one brand. Um, here and that you are looking to take the brand to be number one globally. And so for the listeners out there, I am going to implore you to go out and visit, uh, visit com and make sure that you buy at least one, one hijab just to propel the brand for it. It sure does. And let me just tell you, I love that you said it starts with one because (laughs) I have a collection now that I'm like, okay. And I'm going to get another one. So I need like a new, a new one to kind of, cause I'm going to take some headshots and I'm actually coming. So if you don't know, I'm originally from New York. So I'm coming to New York and I'm going to do something fun. So I have to make sure I rock a fun hijab when I do it. So I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. it. Okay, so with everything that you, you've said, the topic for today is maintaining Haya. And so as a boss woman in business, how do you propose that other aspiring boss, uh, boss women or just other boss women, how do you propose that they maintain Haya while they're running these empires? You know, the answer is so simple, but it's tough to implement because it's easy to get sidelined. And 
The answer is to make sure that at all times your intentions are pure. Your intentions at every single given moment is to serve God and nothing else. And it may seem like an obvious answer for me, particularly because I am in the Muslim space. But even when I was an attorney and working for the NAACP, let's say, my intention was to please God at all times. And even though, you know, it wasn't necessarily a Muslim cause, it was a good cause working to uplift those who's, who, have been, who are oppressed. Mm-hmm. And so at all times, keeping your intentions pure and keeping your eyes on the prize, that you're doing all of this to serve God. And at the end of the day, you are just a tool. You are a vehicle that God is using in order to do his work. And if you can remember that all the time and always come back to that, then it's simple. But like I said, it's difficult to implement because life gets in the way. The diseases in our heart get in the way. Our arrogance get in the way. Our ego gets in the way. And so there have been many times in the company where I've lost sight of that. And I indulged in the dunya aspect of being glorified by others or having a following Um, you know, I indulged in my nafs and in my ego and that's when I lost track. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I had a very long, arduous journey of having a real crisis in my faith and coming through that. It took me months to get out of that, to get back on track. Um, So without getting into too much detail, you know, basically it was one Ramadan where I was having a real tough time connecting and I, you know, I was still doing everything. I was going to Tarawih at night. I was fasting and praying and everything else, but my heart wasn't in it. And I was feeling, I was feeling, I was, I had thoughts that were so, so scary about God. And that's when I was like, yo, I need to take a step back. I, you know, God does not place undue burdens on us. And so I knew that I brought myself here. It's because of what my hands have wrought. So I had to take a step back. And it wasn't until, so Ramadan two years ago was in what, like July, June, July. It wasn't until a youth camp that I go to every year that I just returned from this weekend that I was able to really attack those demons head on and come out of it. And remember my true purpose, which is to serve God and nothing else. And the moment had come. It really wasn't until I could say the words out loud. I said, in the past year, I've been fooling myself into thinking that I've been serving you, speaking to God, when in reality, I've only been serving myself. Mm. Because the work that I do is community outreach, and it's providing a service and a product that is in line with our beliefs as Muslims. And so it's easy to trick yourself into thinking you're doing good, which is what I was doing, when in fact I was only serving myself and not God. And so I came to that realization. And when I said that out loud, it was like a burden just lifted from me. And I felt so free. And it was just such a moment. I'll never, ever, ever forget it. I have a whole YouTube video talking about that, um, that whole experience. Um, you know, and how I came out of it and, and everything that went into it. So, so yeah, 
It's a simple answer, but it's not always easy to implement. Melanie, I really love that you touched on it. And I can only say that the idea of doing this podcast comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I say that because the very first one, there were a whole bunch of like faux pas, et cetera, et cetera. But I made it through. Then the second one, you know, was with um, Susie Ismail, and we talked a little bit about Haya, and she touched on it just a little bit, and she gave us, you know, an inkling of, of, of what it's like to be a woman in business and, and how you can get sidetracked. And then you come on, and you just continue the conversation from there. And I love that you are so transparent in not only, you know, you talking to me, but in talking to your viewers and, and the people that support you, your fans, and just saying, hey, I too experience X, Y, and Z. Okay. And as a person that loved you long before B-U-N-H-D, I follow you because of that. I support you because of that, because I can see my story in your story. And, 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 and I can see how, you know, as long as this is, this is kind of the dunya version of holding on to the, t- the rope of Allah, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's finding people that are championing the ummah and championing, championing the, the things that are important to us and, and us just, you know, kind of holding on to that and following them. So I appreciate you for, for being transparent there. Um, what, so what are some examples of how someone who's listening could practice Haya? Um, well, I think that there's a couple things. Number one is the intention that I talked about. Having a very clear intention of why you're doing things. Um, because if your intention isn't clear, then it's much easier to fall into, um, you know, the diseases of the heart that you may possess as well as being sidetracked by dunya. So having that clear intention is super important, um, which is, which should always be to serve God. And that's everyone's, that should be everyone's intention, but then take it down a notch. What is your, what's your purpose? Mm-hmm. That's the, that is the preliminary question. What is your purpose? What are you doing? What were you put here on earth to do? Like I said, each and every one of us should consider ourselves a vehicle or a tool that God uses in his path. So what part of the puzzle are you? Where do you fit in? And if you don't know that, again, it's going to be really easy for you to falter. So without having that clear, clear vision in your brain of what my purpose is and why I'm here and what I'm set out to do, it'll be much easier to fall into losing your haya or losing yourself. Um, and then I would say the third thing and, and something that is very difficult for people to do is to be honest with yourself. You know, I could give you tips on how to maintain haya, but if you don't have these three things in line first, then it's all kind of in vain. If you can't be honest with yourself to when you are falling off, then what good is it to know how to maintain haya? So you have to be honest with yourself when you are falling off, when your intentions have taken a turn, and when you're doing something not for the sake of God. 
-hmm. You have to be honest. And if you're not honest with yourself, you're only fooling yourself. Mm -hmm. And in turn, you, you, that's how you earn God's displeasure. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's like the scariest thing is when I can no longer feel God. And I feel like he, he no longer needs me in his path. That to me is scary. Uh, and the only way I got back on track was being honest with myself. And for too long, I had, I had put it away. And like I said, I was fooling myself into thinking, no, 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 you're, you're do- look at the, all the good you're doing. Look at all these girls who are talking about how you've changed their lives. Of course you're doing good. I had, I had convinced myself otherwise. I was in denial for a long time. And until I could be honest, truly be honest with myself, then I could get back on track. So have the courage to really, really be honest with yourself and get out of that denial. Got it. Got it. You touched on like four different things. And while you were speaking, I'm like, oh, 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 oh. (laughs) So one of the questions that I had while you were speaking is how do you know when you've gone off track? And and I'm just going to go into this brief explanation of Haya so that people understand because we have a lot of viewers Mm. and I'm sure you have a lot of supporters who are not Muslim. For and sure. so I want to make sure that they understand the importance of Haya for Muslim women or just Muslims in general. Yeah. And so um, the word Haya is derived from the word Hayat, which means life. But Haya can be loosely translated in English as modesty, shyness, self-respect, bashfulness, honor, humility. And Haya is an important part of our Iman and faith. And Haya is also a branch of faith or belief and has a direct correlation to morality. So you touched on that about three different times when you were speaking. So how do you, again, I'll pose the question, how do you know when you veered off? What does that feeling, what does it feel like? I think, I think all of us tr- deep down inside knows. We all know when we are doing things that displease God because that's how God made us to be cognizant of those things. Whether or not we accept it or we recognize it is different, but we all know. So for me, I'll speak on my own uh, personal experience. When I was praying, I didn't want to get deep into dua or like, Mm -hmm. you know, supplication because I was ashamed. I was guilty. And so I couldn't turn my face to God and talk to him freely how I usually do. I still was doing my five daily prayers. That didn't change. Mm -hmm. But that one-on-one with him that I got so much pleasure from, I was abandoning that because I didn't want to face him because I knew I was guilty. Mm -hmm. Likewise, you know, I was in the habit of waking up for Tehajjud prayer, which is the prayer in the last third of the night before our morning prayer, Fajr. And I had abandoned that practice. Why? Because I couldn't face God. I didn't want to face God. I was having too much. You know, when you do, we do bad things because they feel good. Right. right. You know, we don't do it because for any other reason other than it makes us feel good. It feeds our, our nefs, our ego. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to give up that feeling. Mm-hmm. And I knew that to give up in order to go back to these practices, I'd have to give up that feeling. And I didn't want to give that up. I enjoyed feeding my own ego. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows deep down in their heart. It's whether or not you want to acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. And for me, particularly, it was in my personal acts of worship. That's how I knew. And Ramadan is the 
it was when it culminated to the peak because in Ramadan, that is the month of worship. Yes. That's the month of personal worship. So whether I like it or not, when I was standing in Tarawih at, at night prayers and the imam was giving his long dua in witr, I'm standing there. And when he was saying all these words of God and my heart was closed to that, my heart didn't want to accept it. My heart questioned it. That's when I was like, okay, this isn't going to fly anymore. I've gone way too far and I need to really attack this because I've let myself go too far off the path. Mm. Mashallah for, I have goosebumps and I have them because I know exactly what you're talking about. And I will tell you that Mine came like right after Ramadan. You know, after Ramadan, you're like, okay, I didn't have to get up at three o'clock in the morning, you know, and let me sleep a little bit. And so I was missing that Tahajit prayer. So mm-hmm. still making those five prayers, but that Tahajit prayer. Okay, let's take a vacation from the Tahajit prayer a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, it's one week. And then next thing you know, it's two weeks. And then you've kind of veered off. Mm-hmm. And then you're wondering why you're experiencing this uneasiness and this oh, you know, well, what's going on? Mm-hmm. The moment you turn back and you, you know, in prayer and to it, the moment you open up your heart is the moment that everything, like you said, it's like this weight off your shoulders and you feel light. Mm-hmm. You know, I want people to realize, you know, you feel light. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, this conversation is not only for Muslim women. This is anyone who identifies with a deity through their religion Absolutely. that you too can, can experience this by being submissive in prayer. And, you know, um, it, it is said that shyness only brings good. Mm-hmm. Shyness can only bring anything but good. And if you are shy to, and, and you alluded to this, you were shy to do anything immoral in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by going back to him and, and, and you know, p- participating in the Tahajit prayer and Tarawir and just getting back more grounded, he, when you ask of him, he's only going to give to you because he too is shy towards you. Mm-hmm. He is shy towards you to not give you what you ask for because mm-hmm. you are being shy to him. It's for me, Islam is so beautiful because everything to me in Islam is a blessing. Yeah. Every single thing that he does is a blessing. So mashallah um, with, 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 with that. So I want you to um, kind of, you know, I think we've, we've, we've given them you know, what we need to give them about Haya. I just want to talk to you a little bit about the things that you're doing for the the community. And you've alluded to them because not only is this a podcast where we're talking about Muslim women, but it's also a podcast about how we can help them. So you've got at least three, you know, things that, that you're doing, um, you know, that people can see Mm -hmm. um, for, for people. You have the college tour, you have YouTube. And even when you release that hijab on Tuesday and you have us, you know, pick the name of it and that kind of thing, you have no idea what that's doing for us. I look for that. I'm like, yeah, what a name hijab. So um, you just, we're just a part of your business. And, 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 and I love that. So just talk to me a little bit about why you do, why, why the causes, why, why are you championing these efforts? Yeah, you know, fashion has always been an interest of mine. However, it wasn't an interest that was so strong that it would be my livelihood. Um, I'm an attorney, like I said, and I was a civil rights attorney at that. And so these issues of dealing with, for me, particularly race, that was my my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
also just social justice issues, that's where I flourish and that's where I, I'm most passionate. When I made the shift, I didn't even make the shift. When I started this company, as I was still working as an attorney, fashion was always a, a creative outlet for me. Um, since I was in high school, I, middle school, I started sewing my own clothes and I, I found a real true creative outlet through style and fashion. And so I've always loved that. But again, it wasn't enough for me to dedicate an 80 hour, hour work week. So I had to combine the social mission aspect in order for it, number one, to feel fulfilling and for it to be worthwhile for me, and also so that I could make sure that I was funneling all of my gifts and all of my skill sets and talents into one thing. Because when I was working as an attorney, my intellectual stimulation was being activated, and then I had this creative outlet with my company, but they were two separate entities. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to funnel all of my gifts into one thing, which was this company. So that's why. Um, it's a super selfish thing. It's because of, you know, the fulfillment that it gives me. And because I recognize that the, I recognize the gifts that God has given me. Mm -hmm. But secondly, I feel like it's so important because hijab really is an issue in our community, whether we want to talk about it or we don't. Mm -hmm. And the issue is, oh God, the issue is, is very nuanced from, Mm -hmm. I don't, I want to wear it, but it's hard for me all the way to, I'll never wear it. Mm -hmm. So I felt, especially when we started that nobody was addressing these issues. Nobody wanted to put themselves on the line to talk about such a sensitive topic. And even now I don't talk about hijab and why you should wear it. I never do that. Mm -hmm. I just lead by example. I show beautiful examples of women who wear hijab who are doing amazing things and contributing in amazing ways. I don't preach as to why you should wear it. I never do that. Mm -hmm. I just try and give a positive for all the negative out there. I try and combat that with positive. I love it. Um, I'm not in the business of convincing women to wear hijab. Mm -hmm. I'm in the business of supporting women who do wear it and helping those who are struggling and, and are actively seeking help. Mm. So that's, that, that's the piece that for me is so important because I just felt like nobody was out there doing this. And even if you look at the other hijab fashion companies and stuff, they don't really do that either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's like people are afraid to really talk about these issues. And mm-hmm. I get that because it's, it gets, it can go sour real quick. Yes. And so when I talk about it, I have to really choose my words carefully. Mm-hmm. I just did this whole Insta Live talking about my own personal story because I used to take off my hijab. I loved it. Did you watch I did. it? Yes, I did. I loved every single minute of it. Can I tell you, Halima, I was really walking on eggshells. I know. I, I, don't, I won't say that I withheld anything, but I mm-hmm. had to choose my words so carefully because you can alienate one person so at the drop of a dime by saying the wrong thing. And then you, they've shut off completely and they don't want to hear anything else you have to say because mm-hmm. people take it so personally. Mm-hmm. People feel judged. Mm-hmm. You know, they feel misunderstood. Mm-hmm. So I had to come at that topic of what to do when a friend takes it off the right way to wear it. I had to come at those topics in a really smart way. 
Yes. Um, which can be exhausting. Sometimes you just yes. want to like say what you want to say, but <laughs> you, you know, you can't. Right. So, so that was one, one piece, like just the hijab in general. And then with everything we saw going on with the political climate yes. and me being very, very in tune with our youth, like I said, I do this youth camp every year. Yes. It was last year at that youth camp when I got the idea for the college tour. I love it. Because what I was seeing was in our youth camp, I was like, these kids are struggling. They have a real crisis of identity. They feel comfortable to be Muslim at home, but they don't feel comfortable to be Muslim outside the home. Mm -hmm. And they flourish at camp because they can be themselves because no one's judging them. We're all Muslim. We're all praying five times a day together. We're all in it together. Mm -hmm. Second, they leave this camp. They're a different person. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to really give this message to our youth, which is why we went to different MSAs and colleges around the country to talk to kids in that really critical time in their lives where they're deciding their fate mm -hmm. uh, for the most part mm -hmm. and telling them what their role is in America and why mm -hmm. you're here and why we were all handpicked and hand chosen to be in America at this time right now. It's not mm -hmm. a coincidence. So I really wanted to hone in on, on two things, our role in America, and number two, not losing our faith along the way. Because that was another thing we're seeing, that people are, they're, they're watering down certain parts of the religion in order to be more acceptable, more palatable. Mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not our way. That's not the way of the Prophet, وسلم, and so I wanted to make sure that people were staying true to the real foundations and not sacrificing in the name of assimilation. Mm. I love what you're saying. And, you know, I will, uh, a lot of people that I get to speak to when I do my uh, speaking is I talk about my story and I love that you're doing the college tour. And I wish you were around when I went to college because college was when my hijab came off. And it was because of exactly what you said. You know, I was born Muslim and it was a whole bunch of years of fighting bullying, being bullied and, and being talked about. I've had my hijab pulled off and, and all of those things. And, you know, when I went to college, it just came to a head. Yeah. And I just said to myself, okay, I'm, I'm seeking a degree in business. How am I going to survive corporate America when I barely survived my high school years with everything that went on? Yeah. And so I can totally relate and identify. And when I saw you at Temple, I loved the questions um, that they were asking. And I loved also the way that you answered it. And I believe, you know, as Muslims and anyone of any religious faith, that you cannot force feed um, people to, you know, your belief system. Mm -hmm. You can only say, hey, this is what I love and this is for me. And if you would like to know more, I can tell you more. But if not, this is, this is what I think. And so I really, really love that that is what you're doing because you are helping girls like me to, to feel, um, to own their identity and just to feel wonderful in hijab. You know, uh, people always ask me why I'm smiling. How can I not? You know, this, I mean, this, there's so much that goes into this and there's so much courage that you have to have every single day that you walk out, walk out the door. Yeah. And I, I just feel that I'm more blessed in hijab than I was outside of it. And so, and that's just, you know, my personal journey and my personal story. So I love it. You, you are definitely making an impact, not only here in the U S but you're making an impact globally.
And uh, my prayer for you is that you are the number one global hijab company. Like I see that in the next year or so for you, inshallah. Hey. Yes. So, <laughs> so um, I love that you use your platform for social justice. Not only is it important just as a Muslim. So what people don't know is that um, we, we, we kind of, we don't like oppression. And, um, you know, it is our duty as a Muslim to kind of, you know, speak out against it, whether it's a Muslim cause or not. Mm -hmm. So whoever, whatever member of society is experiencing that oppression, it is up to a Muslim to put on that cape and and kind of go rescue that oppressed group. So Mm -hmm. I love that, that that's what you're, you're championing. So, um, with regards to, you talked a little bit about how you bring together your passion work into your business. Um, Talk to me a little bit about that because there are a lot of women right now who are in the corporate space and they're working for another company. Just talk a little bit about how you can bring your passion into the corporate space or if you decide to go on your own, you know, and make that jump and become a full-time entrepreneur. How do you kind of put those two together? Yeah, that's a huge piece I talk about in the college tour is in order to know what your role is here in America, you have to first know what you can contribute. So, and again, it goes back to knowing yourself. What are your gifts? What are your skill sets? What are your talents? God created you with a very specific set of tools. And if you don't know what those tools are from a very young age, then you haven't sharpened them. So like Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours, right? And outliers. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to be a master at something. I was just talking to my sister yesterday. She was at camp with me and I gave the same talk and she was saying how she realized at camp that writing is one of her skill sets, that it's a gift that God has given her. And I said, now's the time, put in those, put in the work, sharpen that skill. You have no idea what it'll take you later or what you're going to do with it, but you're good at it. You love to do it. Um, put in those 10,000 hours. So first figuring out what your skill set is, what your gift is, honing in on it, sharpening it, and then being able to mold it in whatever place you find yourself in. Now, if you find yourself in in corporate America in a job where those skill sets, those gifts, those talents aren't aligning with what your job is asking of you, then you're in the wrong role. Mm. You're in the wrong place. And doing something as a job that doesn't meet up with your skill set is a recipe for misery. So our community that pushes our young boys and young girls to go into medicine, to become doctors where they're not, they don't have that brain. They don't have that passion is a recipe for a life of misery. And they'll do it to please their parents, to, to, meet the expectations of their community, but they'll be miserable. Mm. And I remember this one girl in particular, and I was saying this, and I was like, listen, you could be in your fourth year, you took your MCATs, you majored in bio, and you could realize at that moment, this isn't what I want to do. And it's not too late. It's mm. not too late. And, she, this, and this was at UIC in Chicago. A girl came up to me in tears She said, listen, I don't know who you are. I've never heard of you before. My friend dragged me here, but God put me here because I'm in my fourth year. 
I'm a bio major and I just took my MCAT and this isn't for me. Mm. And I was like, then you need to get out while you can mm -hmm. and do what's for you. God didn't put you on this earth so you can, so for drudgery, so you can contribute in a way that makes you unhappy and miserable. So that's what I'd say. All your gifts and talents have to align with the job, the company, the, the role. They have to align. If they don't, you'll be unhappy. Melanie, I mean, like, just Melanie for president. That's it. That's it. crazy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So, um, you know, my, my whole uh, mantra is be you in HD. So be yourself in high definition. I love Please. that. Please. Oh, thank you so much. It took a while for me to get there. But what would you tell the listeners that means to you? And what would be the advice that you would give? I love that you gave the book Outliers. I have read it. Um, so, um, you know, if you could give us another, another book too that you would say that you, they should read? Um, a really good book I read was 168 Hours. Mm -hmm. You have more time than you think. And um, it was an amazing book because it's, it's like a time management book, but what it really does is help you figure out your life so that you can answer the question, am I living my best life? Am I doing what I should be doing? And how can I get to where I love everything that I'm, all the time I'm spending in my life? Mm -hmm. it's, in a, it's a phenomenal practical book that really helped me through these issues. Another book that's an inspirational book that I'm sure everyone has already read, but The Alchemist was a, was a crazy book for me. It was an insane book. And I read yes. that later in life. I think I read that just a couple years ago. Because everyone kept talking about this book. And I'm like, all right, I don't read uh, nonfiction for them. Uh, fiction, rather. I don't really read fiction. I'm a nonfiction type of person um, because I, like, I just like to be productive in everything that I do. Not that fiction isn't productive, but it's just not my thing. So I was like, let me just read it. Everyone's been talking about this book. And I can't even tell you, I marked that book up. Like, I have never marked a book up before in my life. Mm -hmm. And there are things that, as Muslims, we have to put to the side. Um, so I will say that reading, read it with a discerning eye, mm -hmm. but there's so much in that book that I was just like, Oh my God, like this is truth right here. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend that for anybody also to really, it, what it does is it, it activates something in you that for a lot of people hasn't been activated since you were a child. Mm. It makes you think about, it makes you see the world like you were eight years old again, without all the baggage of the world that has completely jaded you as an individual. It really brings you back to a, a time of purity and clarity. Mm. And um, that was a beautiful book. I love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. And I can attest to what it is that you're saying. Everything that I do from for BU and HD right now is from 10-year-old Halima. Yeah. Ten-year-old Halima was there you a force go. to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. For real, that's what, that was the time when there were no limitations. Nothing was off limits. You could do whatever you put your mind to. And the only limitations are things that we've put on ourselves or our parents have put on ourselves. But, and that's a, that was what 168 Hours taught me. Nice. Was how do you know what your gifts are? 
And what she said in the book is you have to think back to the time when you were a child and you had, you could do whatever you wanted with your time. You had no responsibilities yet. Did you go out in the backyard and dig in the dirt and look for worms because you were really into that stuff? Were you like me where I was knee deep in beads and I was like beading necklaces and embroidering jeans and like I was, that's what I was doing when I was 10 years old. You know, so what was it that you were doing when you had the opportunity to do whatever you wanted? I love it. I love it. So what does it mean to be you in HD? What a great question. Um, I think for me, what it means is always holding myself accountable I think that too often when we see people who have become public figures and, you know, it's great to be humble. It's great to be modest, but you have to keep it real as well. I'd love to be humble and tell you, oh, no, girls don't look up to me. I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. That's just not the truth. So I have to accept that I have put myself out there in the public sphere. People have lifted me up. And I do affect and influence others. Done. Okay, I have to accept that. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are unwilling to accept it. Not just because they're modest, but also because they don't want the burden that comes with it. Mm. And that's why I say holding myself accountable. Because if I wasn't this public figure, I would probably dress differently. I would probably act differently. I would probably go places that I shouldn't go. But because I am in the public sphere, in whatever capacity it is, I have to hold myself accountable. And I have to be cognizant and realize that there are people who who hang on to my every word. Mm -hmm. And I just wish that more people who are in this position, and much bigger than me, Mm -hmm. really held themselves accountable. That's being you in HD. Being honest with, with, with yourself about the influence that you have on others and allowing that to hold your, hold yourself accountable. You're just the bomb, Melanie. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, you know, oh, and this just alludes to that when you have a, 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 a brand that is recognizable throughout the world and, you know, the U S throughout the world is that you have a social responsibility. Yes. And I love that you said accountability because you are not only accountable to your audience, but it's, it's a, it's a, um, you know, it's like a reciprocal, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know that, you know, you have to watch what you say, you have to watch what you do, et cetera, because they're watching and they're, and, you know, in most cases going to follow exact, some people are just going to follow exactly what you do, what you mm-hmm. say. If you, you know, you, I know you said this morning, you ate a bagel with cream cheese. There's someone out there that's going to eat a bagel and cream cheese because Melanie ate a bagel and cream cheese. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I love that. <laughs> it's true. Right. Um, so I love that you said accountability. And I don't think I would have expected you to say anything else. So I uh, truly appreciate you 
for coming on here, for taking the time out of your day. Um, again, my prayer is, of course, for you and your, your family, um, that all it goes well, um, that, you know, and, and that Allah just continues to shed his light, his nur um, on you, and that he continues to allow your brand, your business to flourish, Ameen. and that he continues to keep you in the state of Hayat. Amin, 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 Amin. Thank you so much. You're so beautiful. I love you. And that dot means so much to me. Thank you so much. Everyone listening, say Amin right now. Amin, Amin, <laughs> right? <laughs> I am going to um, go out of here, um, Melanie, and just to do the outro. And then you are on your way to doing whatever boss women do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been another spectacular episode of Maintain Your Islamic Identity and Still Be a Boss Muslimapreneur. It is our hope here at BUNHD that after each podcast, you will be empowered to have a deeper connection in your spirituality, personal, and business relationships. As women of faith, we have a responsibility to contribute and impart positive changes to a larger global community as commanded by our creator in Surah 16 and 9. Surely Allah commands justice and the doing of good to others and giving to the kindred and he forbids indecency and evil and rebellion. He admonishes you that you may be mindful and fulfill the covenant of Allah. When you have made a covenant and break not your oaths after confirming them and you have indeed made Allah your surety. Surely Allah knows what you do. Have an amazing week. Assalamu alaikum.